Brett, I have nothing to wear for this interview. Can you find me someone fabulous to help costume me? I, I know just the person, and that is Mary Vogt. Oh, she did Hocus Pocus. Yes. Or if she's good enough for Beth, then she's good enough for me. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go talk to her. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig. I'm joined today by my co-host, Ms. Vanessa Ferguson. Hello, Mr. Craig McFarland. Hello, and the host with the most, Mr. Brett Rutherford. <laughs> well, I've got a little bit here and there. Um, hi. <laughs> Brett, you uh, were able to, through some mutual acquaintances and some uh, amazing luck, get us an extremely important and special person to talk to today. Uh, go ahead and tell us all about Mary. Oh, well, I want to give a shout out to my good friend who gave me a little text and said, you know, I know of someone you should have on your podcast. And oh, she designed the costume as Brocus Pocus. And I said, yes. So we have Mary Vote here today. And I just can't wait to talk to her because I mean, she's done some amazing work. Well, we have Hocus Pocus, which, you know, we're going to be watching that over and over again, because number one, it's good. And number two, it's September, October in the fall. And then also, I mean, she worked on Dune and she worked on Batman Returns and, and Crazy Rich Asians and so much. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So I can't wait to ask her questions about the fabrics and how and her process and, oh, I don't know, a little bit of celebrity dish here and there. <laughs> don't you think? I think so. <laughs> you had me at Hocus Pocus and then I fell in love with Batman Returns. So <laughs> Vanessa, talk to me about are you, this interview. Are you excited to get to talk to a costumer? Yes, so excited. She has dressed Bette Midler. She has dressed Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker. I love those three women. One of these days we're going to talk to them, but right now we're going to talk to Mary and I'm so excited to hear her behind the scenes stories and just more about her, really her art of creating these costumes. She is a designer and she's fabulous. I can't wait to hear more. Absolutely. Why don't we just get right into the interview? I think you're going to really enjoy it. I think we're going to enjoy it too. So here is Mary. We are so honored and excited to welcome to the show, Mary Vaught. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm like really thrilled that people are still interested in this movie. It's always exciting to talk about. It's great. Absolutely. We are definitely going to dive into Hocus Pocus, but Brett, you have our first question. Well, yes. Well, it, about Hocus Pocus, as a costume designer, do you complete your design work before filming or are you part of the film shoot as well as, it, as it's shot? And that could be any film. Well, that's a very interesting question because it's something that, that I think about a lot because in the golden age of Hollywood, the costumes were done the costume designer was gone and onto another picture when they started shooting. But now you're, I'm on to the last day. <laughs> it's, and it's because like the scripts are changing and it's not, it used to be locked down a lot more, almost like in theater. In theater, you have the script and the, the book that doesn't change. So the designer is done as soon as they start, you know. But on movies now, you're there to the last day. You're making clothes in the last day. It's, I don't think it's a good way to work. I think it's better. <laughs> I'd much rather be gone and then yes. start something else. Because like the actual process of shooting is like being tortured with ice picks for like three months. <laughs> so Meanwhile, though, a customer's work is never done. And that's honest. That is the it should be. truth. It should be. Done. It should be, yeah. And it was done when they made like the great movies of Hollywood. It was done. Wow. I have a question of furthering about costumes because I know you probably approach Hocus Pocus in this way and uh, along with your other movies and Crazy Rich Asians. Can you kind of walk us through your creative process of you're given this film, you have this new property and how do you organize your work? How do you start? Well, I always think about any movie as like a pyramid and at the top of the pyramid, you have the director and 
it's really the director's vision that you are working on, you know, the, the director will set certain parameters and then you work within those parameters. And like, it's the director, the production designer, the cinematographer, the costume designer, the actors make a big deal. But I always try to stay, to get inside the director's head a little bit so that I can work within the parameter of their vision. And a lot of directors, depending on the director, some people will give you a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, room to move. And other directors are like, no, this is exactly what I want. And so it depends, you know, it's flexible depending on who the director is. And like with uh, Crazy Rich Asians, John Chu was very close to the project. He was very close to it. So his vision was, was pretty like, you couldn't like go outside the vision too much. You had to sort of stay within it. But then other, I've done movies with Barry Sonnenfeld, like the Men in Black series. And he was more like, oh, I don't know. You know, you know what do you, maybe who knows where the aliens came from? So he, you got a lot of freedom, you know, not freedom, but a lot of um, room to move kind of. It, it, it depends on each project is different. It, you know, I'm doing a pilot right now and that is kind of a free for all because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> you basically, you know, I don't know. You just kind of hope for the best. Yeah. Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer having that, uh, those direction of do this and don't do that? Or, or do you like having that total creative freedom? I guess I would have to say when things get smaller and they're more controllable, you actually have more freedom because there's, there's less elements. When it's like too open-ended, sometimes it's, it's hard to rein it in. Because I, I think when, particularly when you have a lot of character like actors, and it's good for the actors. I work very close with the actors. If you give the actors too much space, it's, you know, it's hard for them. And, you know, you're an actor yourself. It's, I think a little more, you know, ground, grounding is, is, works better for everybody. Yeah, for and sure. One, yeah, and one of the main, you know, not that you would be told what to do, because you're never told what to do, but when you have a certain framework thing it's been my experience things seem to work better and you can be more creative then when it's open-ended things can get wild and out of control and look like a big mess sure <laughs> that makes a lot of sense yeah. we need to go back for just a moment um you mentioned in an interview that you got a very early start as a costume designer can you tell us about your hometown long beach long island and your oh early work there <laughs> <laughs> Long Beach, Long Island is like, it's like a town that's like 45 minutes from New York City. And it's a beach town. And a lot of people, I think, who were, who left the stage or left the theater in New York, moved to Long Beach. So we had a lot of theater people in Long Beach and everyone always wanted to put on plays. Everybody. The kids wanted to put on plays. The adults wanted to put on plays. And so we were always putting on these plays, you know, even like small things in the backyard or then later they would do it at the church or at the you know the high school or anywhere the beach anywhere and so everyone wanted to be an actor and nobody wanted to be a costume designer and I wanted to be the costume designer I I remember seeing like um, American in Paris and there's like a dance sequence in American in Paris that is so gorgeous and when I saw that I thought oh that would be great to do. <laughs> Wow. That was yes. because it was just so magical. And and so I did the costumes. I started doing the costumes when I was like 10 or 12 years old. Nobody seemed oh, to wow. care that I could barely, you know, that I wasn't old enough to use a sewing machine, but but um <laughs> actors. Nobody else wanted know, to but... do it. <laughs> so uh, that's so funny. But it it was quite an experience because after a while I was doing costumes for my teachers at school. And you know, when you're a kid, you look up to your teachers and you're slightly intimidated by your teachers, but when you're dressing them and doing costumes for them, you're sort of telling them what to do. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really interesting. And I, it, it actually was good for me because I'm not, I'm not, I don't get starstruck or anything. Cause I think, cause I had that experience as a kid, you know, I wasn't intimidated by my science teacher when, you know, I had to dress him for something. So, uh, you know, when I do a movie with the big star, just like, well, you're just a, you're just a person. <laughs> yeah. 
a, a person that looks better because of the costumes that you put them in. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the costumes really take on this iconic persona uh, all to themselves. So especially in Hocus Pocus, coming back to that property, the costumes are just as iconic as the Sanderson sisters themselves. So can you talk about uh, your process in creating those costumes and that look, particularly for Bette Midler and Kathy Jimmy and Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker? Well, every, you know, I, we did the movie in the prep of the movie on the lot, on the Disney lot. And I had this, I parked in this parking structure that was right next to the animation building. So every day to go to my office, I would walk through the animation building. And at that time, you were allowed to do that. Now you can't go anywhere. But, and when I would walk down the hallway, there were all these gorgeous animation stills, the big ones of the backgrounds. And they were gorgeous. And they weren't under glass. They were just like tacked to the wall practically. And, and so I, from Snow White and Pinocchio, and, you know, now they're probably in like, you know, the Louvre. <laughs> now they're really famous. But then they were just like pinned to the wall. Um, but I think they were in frames. That's it. But they were so beautiful and the colors were so gorgeous that I was very inspired by it. And I kept seeing this color every day, every day. And then I thought, well, you know, we should do color. Of course, it's Disney, the wonderful world of color. It's gotta do color. You can't, you can't put these witches in black costumes. And then, you know, Bet with her red hair, it's like, yeah, I feel green and Green and purple is perfect, but it just sort of kind of fell into place until the studio said, no, we, we no, colored, no, no, colored witches, no, no, they should be in black. And I just thought, maybe you should go to the animation building and walk down the hallway and see what they do here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was a problem. And I couldn't talk them out of it. But the director, Kenny Ortega, who was a performer himself. And, you know, I have pictures of him wearing like purple platform shoes in the 70s. So I know he's not afraid of color. So um, I said to Kenny, I said, you know, really this color thing, I think it's a good idea, particularly with Beth, because she's a performer and she used to wear the most outrageous costumes. Like she wouldn't have a problem with that. And, you know, none of the girls would have a problem with that. So Kenny is the one who talked to the studio about it. And he's the one who got them. And I don't, and I think the only reason they agreed to because they thought it was a nothing movie. It was a very low budget film. And they just think, oh, okay, let them, sure. So they make, they're going to make a big stink about it. Let them do it in color. <laughs> oh, so. that's, well, that's speaking of the costumes and the, and I have to ask you about the fabric choices because the flying scenes are so amazing because the costumes just blow in the wind and, I, well, you're convinced that they're flying, but you're also convinced that the that the costumes are like gossamer wings or something, that they're just very magical. Can you tell us about the fabrics? Because they're gorgeous. Yeah, they are gorgeous. Um, all the fabrics started off as white, and Marietta Lang was the dyer, and she dyed all the fabrics those colors. I gave her, like, color swatches, and she just hand-dyed everything. And she wow. just... And I had worked with Marietta on... Batman Returns, but the first time I worked with her was when I was an assistant on um, Dune, on David Lynch's Dune, and she was doing all this fabulous dyeing on them. I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to have special color, you know, after looking at all of this animation stills, and you can't really buy fabric those colors, because the, you know, it's just, you can't, it's just hard, and oh, so sure. Marietta, I knew what a, and she dyed it all in like her washing machine. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But, wow. Yeah, like yeah she's an she's amazing uh, guy. Oh sure. And she did a fantastic job, and with Beth's outfit that has the um the symbols on it, that yeah. was a technique that she learned actually on Dune from one of the Italian dyers. That you you take fabric, or she took like white velvet, she dyed it green and didn't fix it, and then you know put this stencil with these symbols on it that she cut out you know, glued on, and then you spray a little bottle of bleach on it, you know, bleach oh, and water, wow. and uh -huh. then you have to time it and quick take, you know. Oh, my gosh. Because that would burn the fabric if you weren't careful. But she <laughs> wow. was, you know, the, the Italian dyer, you know, the, it's, it's hard to find anyone in the world who knows more about fabric than, than they do in Rome and Milan. 
Oh, wow. And they taught her this technique, which I think is, it sounds like a Japanese technique, actually. But oh. um, Shibori, I think it's called. And so she did this technique on Beth's, on Beth's outfits, and it, it turned out just great. Oh, and my I gosh, said, yes. And so all the fabric was dyed, and then I couldn't find anyone in Los Angeles to make it for us at our prices. And then a friend of mine said, oh, well, why don't you call the opera in San Francisco? Because, you know, if the opera is not working, they like to keep their workroom busy. So maybe they'll do it. And I thought, well, the opera is kind of perfect because corsetry is nothing to them. They make a corset with their eyes closed. And the long capes is nothing to them either. So, you know, Marietta dyed all the fabric. Um, I sent the sketches and we just shoved it in a box and sent it to the San Francisco Opera. And they, Kenny, and they, um, Jenny Green was the, the, ran the shop and agreed to do it. And they just did a fantastic job. Just an amazing, amazing job. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, That's uh, so remember, cool. Yeah. One day they called me and said, uh, I said, you know, I need to get the costumes, you know, throw them, finish them and put them in a box and send them to me because they wanted to do film tests. And they said, well, you know, they're not finished because the sewing machines keeps breaking. You know, keep, oh, no. And I was like, does that happen often at the, Santa, at the San Francisco Opera? They go, no, it never happens. And they said, whose outfit are you working on when, they keep, when the electricity keeps blowing up? And they said, oh, Sarah's. And I said, that's impossible. Because Sarah Jessica was like, no, like little birds would follow her around. She says, no way oh. a sewing machine <laughs> would, would, you know, have a problem. And they, they said, go back and see whose costume you're really working on. And they said, oh, it's Beth's costume. I said, well, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, perfect. I love that you brought that up. I, you know, I appreciate that you say, Mary, that you don't get starstruck, but uh, we do. And so <laughs> since you work so closely with actors, I wanted to ask you, did you have any behind the scenes or special moments working with Bette or Kathy or Sarah Jessica Parker? Do you have anything that you could share about that? Well, Bette, of course, is a stage performer and she's bigger than life and she's you know she's just amazing and you know I wouldn't want to say diva because I think diva is like a good word but some people think it's a bad word but it's like but she really is and she's a big star and so you know and but she's funny so one and they had made these like little miniatures of the outfits like this big for the flying sequence for like a blue screen or little puppets and they were gorgeous and so I said oh let me take one of the Bet's costumes into it and so that was kind of like in a bad mood I don't know but I said to her I, she, I came into her trailer and she's like what do you want I said well I have some bad news she goes what 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 I said your costume went to the dry cleaner and it shrunk said, what why did you send it to the dry cleaner and I said I'm sorry and then I took it out <laughs> It's this perfect costume. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, I love that. I think she fell out of her chair. She was laughing. And like one time I, I was fitting Sarah and I stuck a pin in her. And I actually have her picture of her going. Ah! <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. But oh, they, fantastic. They were but they were amazing. And they put their costumes on. And they, you never heard a peep out of them. I never complained. No one. And they, they, when they were flying, at that time, the flying harnesses were horrible. Like now they, flying harnesses, like Cirque du Soleil has designed these harnesses that everyone uses that are gorgeous. But then we used to take like blue jeans and put lamb's wool in them. And they would put these like, I mean, they were really like little torture chambers. But they wore them and like, no, I mean, Sarah would be up hanging, like reading the paper. <laughs> <laughs> You're wow, professionals. Yeah. yeah, that's but that's know, fantastic. Yeah, oh, go ahead. You asked about the um, the flying capes. That fabric that um, makes that flies so well is actually outlawed because it's so uh, it has a problem with oh, wow. flammable. It has a oh, serious wow. problem because it's so thin. It's like a butterfly wing, so wow. we're, you won't see it again. But we just oh. made that specific cape. What there were several capes. There was a cape just for flying. Oh wow. And that had the really, really like, and that fabric, you didn't even need wind. It would fly by itself because oh, wow. it was so, <laughs> it wow. was so light and good. But unfortunately, Gorgeous. well, I guess fortunately, because 
you don't want to burn up in your costume. But no, um, that would be bad. Yeah, so they they don't they're not allowed to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Now, uh, you actually, when we first jumped onto the the call, you mentioned that uh, the studio where you were working out of for Hocus Pocus has a very special history to it. So I thought maybe you could uh, share that with our audience as well. Well, I think the Walt Disney and his brother Royce started their studio in Los Feliz. And I live in Los Feliz now and I lived there then. And so I've always felt, you know, like, you know, sort of see houses that they had worked in and like little coffee places that they used to go to. Oh, wow. So, uh, one of their first studios was on Hyperion Avenue, and it was a small studio. And they moved that studio to Burbank when um, Dis the Disney Studio was built, I think in the 30s. And um, my office was in that studio. It's called the Shorts Building. So it wow. was, I felt really, um, it, it felt really special to be working yeah. in the Shorts Building that, that, Walt and his brother used to work in in the early days. It's wow. and there was like great pictures of like Mickey Mouse drawings on the walls and the shorts building, and it had a lot of um, romance attached to it. Mm -hmm. So I, I so much really history uh, going on yeah. there, and then here you are uh, designing costumes that would then and as you said, the studio had thought Hocus Pocus wasn't necessarily going to be something that would be a smash hit. They decided to put it on in the summer uh, because they didn't have a lot of faith in it. But then now it is the go-to movie of the Halloween season. I mean, oh, it is yeah. incredible the life that it's taken on yeah. and partially due to, uh, again, those iconic looks and costumes and that the fact that you wanted to put color there. So I'm just basically, uh, th there's no additional follow-up question here. I'm just applauding everything you did <laughs> to get us to this point well, because it was it's very incredible. Inspiring. It was very inspiring to be at Disney to do this movie. And as I said, I would walk every day through the animation building and look at all the beautiful backgrounds. And so it was, uh, I think if I was doing it somewhere else, I, it wouldn't have been the same. And uh, the first, I, I think it was like our first screening of the movie, <clears throat> we had the screening at Disney and a lot of the execs were there and their kids and stuff. And at one point during the film, <clears throat> the little cat gets run over <clears throat> and dies. And so all the little kids, like three and four-year-old kids, start crying. And, and I could hear the execs going, oh, my God, this movie makes people cry. <laughs> said, this is not a Disney film. It makes kids cry. I was like, excuse me, did you see Bambi? <laughs> oh, exactly. That's a long history there. Oops. Exactly. But, um, Vanessa, you had our next that. question. Yeah. So Mary, one thing that I just love about customers is the attention to detail. And we did notice something in Hocus Pocus that we just wanted to mention to you and see if this was intentional. The color of Max's tie-dye shirt during the classroom scene, they are the same colors as each of the witches. So they're, it's green, purple, and red. Is there a story behind that shirt or was that just a happy coincidence? Well, Marietta Lang, who dyed all the fabric, and she would keep the colors. And then, you know, in little pots, you know, Beth's colors, you know, Sarah's colors. And um, one day I said, well, I brought in some t-shirts and I said, oh, I wanted to do a tie-dye shirt for Max. And she said, and the colors were all there. And she said, oh, I've got all these colors mixed up for the girls. Why don't we do it out of the girls' colors? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wow. I love how <laughs> that is a great idea. A, a matter of convenience. I love that. Wow. <laughs> well, and plus we think you would we said that it made sense that it would be, but thanks for noticing that oh, that, sure. yeah, that it would be a little foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. You know, I we we definitely could ask you about Hocus Pocus all day long and, and ask all these questions all day long about them. But um I'm wondering specifically about the costume party scene because it feels like that might be a costumer's dream or nightmare to have to go in and create these specific looks and have all these Halloween references everywhere. Did you have a, a, a really good time or uh, maybe not so good of a time in getting that uh, costume scene together? Well, <clears throat> that's an odd story because, you know, I spent all, it was a small movie, small budget movie, and I spent all my money on the girls and some of the other characters. 
and I ran out of money and had no money left, like like maybe $100 left to do the party. And I talked to our executive, you know, our producer, and I said, oh, I've run out of money. Can I have some more money? And they said, no, you run out of money. Like that's what run out means, run out, no more money. <laughs> and so I said, well, what am I gonna do? And they said, oh, that's your problem. So because Disney has this fantastic warehouse of all their costumes that they keep, and it's just, everything is kept beautifully and they have tons, it's like it goes on forever. There's millions of things there. And so because I was a Disney movie, we had this kind of all you can eat deal where you pay $5,000 and you can take all the clothes you want. And we had already paid our $5,000 for other things. So I thought, well, I guess I'll have to get all the costumes from the Disney warehouse. So if you look closely at the movie, you'll see like clothes from Tron, or you'll see you know, the clothes from other movies. We were careful not to use anything that was too famous or anything that had Mickey Mouse on it. But <laughs> oh, is, that, to, is that still the deal? That, because yeah. uh, it, it, is that still the deal? Because the three of us can come up with $5,000, I'm sure. <laughs> Easy. We can make it happen. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes. But it has to be a Disney movie. I know. Oh, okay. Right now, so I'm we have to get a, a deal, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm doing a pilot. And we have the deal we have now. Unfortunately, it's not as good as the $5,000, but we get 75% off the normal rental price. Oh, well, good. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I know <laughs> when, for years after Hocus Pocus, I would go into the ABC rental house and they would say, oh my gosh, you, your costumes from Hocus Pocus are our biggest rental. And they rented out the original costumes for years. Oh, wow. Oh my wow. gosh. All oh, those delicate things. Wow. Well, I'm shocked that they have any color in them at all because they were all hand dyed in the washing machine and they were never really fixed very well. Wow. But I think the reason they held up so well is that they were made by the opera company. And, you know, when they make clothes for the ballet or the opera, they really make them because they go to on tour for 10, 20 years. So, you know, it wow. was, and the clothes are still in pretty good shape. Now they well, take saw, care of them. Now they, oh, now they're the yeah, now, now yeah. They, they treat them special, but for years they just like, you know, well, I saw the costumes. Um, they at D twenty three Expo twenty nineteen. They did a whole. I think it was heroes and villains. You know, so uh, the Sanderson sisters' costumes. Your costumes were there, and it was amazing to be that close to them. So they looked well, great. In fact, all of the costumes did. It was a great. I was, was yeah. Was I was surprised thing. they held up because they were rented, and then they were sent to the dry cleaner, which is oh like my a, gosh, yeah, yeah. Which is, wow. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and well, great work from San Francisco opera customers. Oh my gosh. They did a great <laughs> job. They really did. So I saved this question for a little bit later in the interview because I didn't want to reveal just how big of a geek I am. But you costumed Batman and Catwoman and the Penguin in Batman Returns. That's incredible because it's, these are well, these are iconic <laughs> looks that I've seen uh, growing up well, in the comic books. Yeah. Well, the Batman, the first Batman, um, Bob Ringwood, who's a, probably one of the greatest designers that ever lived, he designed the first Batman. And they did that one in London, where Bob is from. And the second one, they were going to do in California. And so Bob said, oh, I don't want to do this by myself. There's too many people. It's too annoying. So he said, why don't you design it with me? Like, co-design it. So we designed the movie together. And Bob had already designed Batman. So we, for the second one, we just kind of sharpened him up a little bit. And the Batman suit is interesting because like years before, Bob <clears throat> designed Dune for David Lynch. And I was Bob's uh, design assistant then. And the still suits, we used the same process that was used to make the still suits is used to make, was used to make the bat suit. It's, uh, now it's a little more high techy, but then it was, you know, carved foam and then rubber painted on top of it. Uh -huh. It was, it's pretty much so. The, the bat suit is really an advanced version of a still suit. That's really cool. And, you know, specifically from Batman Returns, uh, I, the Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman costume in that movie is just so, and I, I use this word so much, but it's just iconic. I mean, it is 
it caps it encaptures that uh, character to that point. We had only seen it done uh, in the 1966 Adam West style Batman, which is of course a completely different tone. Uh, and so, can you talk about? maybe your process in designing that or also the, the penguin in that movie, any of those that you'd like to? Well, with the cat suit, you know, we looked at all the old iterations of that costume and they were always black. Most of the time they were shiny. And uh, so we thought, well, black and shiny. And because we wanted to be more contemporary, we thought, well, we'll do it in like, what is more black and shiny than latex? Nothing. So it was made uh, out of latex. And we, were, we painted it on Michelle in, a, actually, when we were making the costume, because it's, it's kind of hard to work in latex to get it perfect. So we did a body cast of Michelle and made the costume on a body cast. So most of the fittings were done on this body cast. So she didn't have many fittings with this costume. So like the first day she wore it and, you know, got into the thing, which is not easy. Um, she looked at herself and she said, did I agree to wear this thing? <laughs> wow. You did. You did agree to wear it. But it looked great on her. So she's like, oh, okay. And, it was so shiny. The reason, yeah, it was so shiny. But it was paint, we painted it with liquid silicone. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And that's why it's so shiny. Yeah. You couldn't touch, if you touched her, you'd like, luckily, she's pretty much by herself most of the time. Mm-hmm. But the, the re- it's a very simple costume. The reason it works so well is that she moved so beautifully. Yes. And there's, there, that is a very unforgiving costume. I mean, if you don't move well, that shows everything. You know, if you're not graceful, and she did all that whip stuff she did herself, you know, it was really, it was really her. It was a very good wow. marriage of a costume and an actor's talent because that costume would look terrible on most people. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and it's a very good film costume. It looks great on film. And, it, and most of it was shot at night. It looks good on film in the dark. During the daylight, not so much because the stitches were glued on. So there was like lots of glue around the stitches. So in person, it was pretty ugly costume. And, but once you like paint it with the silicone, it's super shiny and you shoot it in like dark. I mean, it looks great because it's in, it's, it's sort of like in museums every once in a while. And it always looks terrible. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. And I was being really disappointed because it was being exhibited at the Met in New York. And I was so excited to have a costume at the Met. And so I went there and I looked at it and I was like, oh, it looks like oh. garbage. <laughs> because they forgot, they didn't forget, they just they didn't do it. They didn't paint it. You know, oh. They, oh. So it was dull and it was dirty and it was dusty and you could see the glue and it was falling apart. It was awful. But, you know, some costumes are meant for cinema. In fact, yes. I think most costumes are meant for cinema on film. You know, you could see like a Dior show looks great in person. But those clothes are designed to be seen in person. Like cinema clothes, they're designed to be seen on an actor, under lights, you know, not, not in person. Usually they don't look so hot. And uh, if you see a costume show, then usually they don't look so hot. There was one show that looked great when I was, um, I went to the Fashion Institute in New York and there was a show that Diana Vreeland, who was the editor of Vogue for a long time, she had put on a show of Hollywood costumes. And and it was, I think it was at the Met, it was at the Met and it was gorgeous. And one of the reasons it was so good is that she hired Broadway lighting designers to design the show. So it was lit, beautiful. And that's what, you know, you need lighting for any Hollywood costume. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't look so hot. Well, it's, yeah, the magic is for the screen and not for people exactly. to view. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it's, it's really fascinating hearing you talk about how you approach costuming for these different film genres. When you're designing costumes for different films, do, does your last project kind of inform your next one? Or like, do the techniques that you learn in some of the more science fiction films, do they apply to the romantic comedy films? How does that all work out? Sometimes they do kind of overlap, and then sometimes they're very different. Like, <clears throat> I had done um, a film with Shirley Theron called Longshot, and that was she was playing a political character. She wore these like bright colors and sexy dresses, 
And then the next thing I worked with Charlize was on the old guard where she was very dirty, black, you know, sort of like warrior, you know, uh, you know fighting clothes. And, and so those things were completely different. But a lot of times there is the, like, you know, Batman Returns, I did Batman Returns and then I did Hocus Pocus. So they were right after each other. And uh, I think there is, there is a, certainly a, a lot of, you know, I was more up for it because it was adventurous. But, yeah. but you do sort of like, they do kind of build on each other. Well, you're talking about the different techniques that you learned in one that you've used in another film. So that's great. Yeah, that's so interesting. And one of the things that's changed so much since the Hocus Pocus and Batman Returns and, is that the technology has changed mm. so much. And now you can com communicate so fast with people with texting. And I just did a, a film, uh, Red Notice, which is coming out in a couple of months. And I was texting all the time with the director. And it's like, and you know, I would get answers like, you know, it's flat. And it didn't used to be like that when I would have to like go to like Barry Sonnenfeld, so I'd you know, take a Polaroid, make an appointment. I mean, it would take you, it would take like a couple of hours or even a couple of days to get an appointment, to get an, an answer from a director. And like now you can get it in two seconds. Wow. So mm -hmm. it's good. just, there are so many, there's so many uh, improvements. I'm sure that there's got a downside too, because it, it, people sort of wait till the last minute to make a decision. But oh, yeah. Nose come quicker. I don't know. So no, I'm sure they're y'all yeses. Yes, it's great, Mary. So. Not so much. Oh well. <laughs> the life of a customer. It's very hard. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, and no. the and the style choices that you made for each character's costumes inform the audience almost as much as the dialogue does. Can you talk about that experience? Well, when I is from these books that Kevin Kwan had wrote, these novels that Kevin Kwan had written, and they're very dense, and there's a lot of characters, and there's a lot of information, and it was very specific, and it was very specific Asian, and I was concerned that I would miss something because I'm not Asian, and I talked to the director, and I said, you know, you have to help me, you know, with the backstory, getting the characters right, because what are you talking about? I'm from Northern California. <laughs> so, I said, oh, okay. He said, well, you need to talk to Kevin Kwan, who is the writer of the novels. And, uh, and he will tell you everything because he knows everything. His family is from China. They immigrated to Singapore. They were right on the ground floor of Singapore. So he introduced me to Kevin and Kevin was incredibly generous with his time. And just, he always, I mean, I talked to him like every day for like a couple of months. And he sent me pictures of his family in China. And he, he talked to me about the new, the, the old money and the new money and what they were like. And, and, you know, so I got a lot of very, very specific information from Kevin. And he wow. was just great. And it, it really sort of came from my conversations with him. And I was very concerned that, you know, it's all Asian cast. And, you know, they wanted it to be, to reach a Western audience. And there's so many characters and it's a comedy and comedies move fast. And I said, this is gonna be hard for people to tell everyone apart. So I talked to John about it. I said, well, I think everyone has to be very distinctly different to help to separate the characters. And even their hair needs to be distinctly different. Everyone can't have like straight long hair because it's gonna be impossible. So if you look at the movie, the hair is kind of crazy. Everyone's got like weird updos. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Right. The hair is very elaborate and it's really, it's done intentionally so the characters are separated and stand by themselves. And we even did um, Aquafina's hair, she was a blonde wig, and one of the main reasons so that she would stand out, so you would know who she was. And, uh, and so it was very specific to, because the characters are so interesting, you don't want to mix anybody up. You, no. And they was, and I didn't need to worry about it so much because the actors were so good, they kind of separated it anyway. But I think having them visually separated also helps. Well, and the wedding scene is so gorgeous. I mean, can you tell us a little bit, you know, ab about that, you know, process or, and, and, and 
<laughs> I'm a Methodist. So the, the joke about, you know, a $30 million wedding, it's just, I just laughed out loud at that, you know, I know but it's, anyway, it's just very funny. But so as the customer, you know, if you're reading the script and going, and then they flood, you know, the aisle with water and I'm like going, oh no. So what was, what was that like? Well, it's not in any of the books. The you know John Chu, the director, Nelson Coates, the production designer, were on location in Thailand or someplace in the beginning, and they were at a hotel that had water running through it, and they thought, "Wow, this is really cool." And so then, when it comes to the wedding, they were like, "Let's put water, in, you know, oh, down the aisle," and they told me about it. I was like, "I thought they were kidding." I said, "Yeah, that's a good one." water down the aisle that's what we need it's like you know a bride dragon or soaking wet dress down the aisle and they said no we we want it we, we saw this in a hotel we, we want to do this wow <laughs> so i thought okay and uh the the actress sonoya who was playing the um the bride was a ballerina and, you oh. know she was a dancer and so it kind of reminded me oh it's like swan lake she's gonna be walking on water she's just like swan and so wow. we made, I made her this dress that opened in the front and then all the way to the dress was in the back. So when it got wet, it was very, it was unbalanced to begin with. But when it got wet, it was particularly unbalanced. So like she starts walking and the bridesmaids are walking in back of her in the water on this like really shiny, you know, tray that the water's holding. And I thought, oh no, she's going to fall back because of the weight of the dress and all the bridesmaids go boom, 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 like, you know, bolt, you know, they're all going to be knocked down. And, but what I didn't realize is while I'm waiting for her to fall, I'm watching the scene. She is so strong. I mean, dancers are like all muscle. And so she didn't even feel the dress being heavy. And then wow. the, all the bridesmaids were ex beauty queens, like Miss Malaysia, Miss Hong Kong. And so beauty queens are like trained from like six years old to stand they're in, tough. You know, they're tough, they're tough. They can't, yeah. So they were just, everyone was like, yeah, this is, this is easy. Well, it was gorgeous. And, so cool. Yeah, no, it was. And, and again, it was uh, the actress. You, you have to think of the combination of a costume and an actor. The costume by itself is kind of nothing. It's got to be, you know, it's got to work with whoever's wearing it. Because that's the only reason that, that we're there is to, to enhance their performance, to help them. Because they're, the actors are creating the character. And so you just want to hope you can, you know, help them in some way to, you know, bring it to life. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned earlier that you worked on Red Notice, because that is a question we have for you. Red Notice is starring Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. And like you said, it's going to debut on Netflix in November. But can you tell us a little bit about working on Red Notice? I'm, I understand if you can't share too much, but is there enough fabric in the world to cover Dwayne Johnson's muscles? I mean, I don't even know how you make a shirt for that guy. You know, that's what everyone says about him. He's I never really thought he was that big. He, and I, but he is. He's six five, and but you know, I think it's because he has really good posture. He has incredibly. He's like perfect. He's like great posture, and he can wear pretty much anything. I mean, he wears some like you know fashionable clothes in Red Notice, and he, you know, he could be a runway model. He, he has this great posture. He's graceful, and you know, he's confident. You know, one of the things is do with actors, they have to feel confident in what they're wearing because if they're embarrassed by what they're wearing, this is not going to work. I mean, the first outfit we had for Ryan, in the movie now, he wears like a white tuxedo, but at first it was this kind of like 17th century blue velvet, you know, weird costume. And uh, as this waiter, he was at a, a part, uh, like a costume party. And he put it on and he was just, I can tell that he wasn't comfortable wearing this like weird outfit because he's a different kind of performer. You know, he's not Bette Miller, you know, so and that would have hurt his performance for him to wear this kind of crazy 17th century blue outfit. And he was much more comfortable in the white tux and he's great. And then he can shine. And that's when you want actors to shine and be comfortable and, you know, create you don't want them worried about, you know, why am I wearing this stupid costume? <laughs> so that's really interesting that you almost have to 
be in tune to reading the actors that you're working with. You really have to be almost empathic and insightful in that way. Is that something that you've noticed as well? You do. And, you know, you usually get that way by, by making mistakes. <laughs> like early on, I had an actress that I, I, I didn't talk her into it, but I sort of like encouraged her to wear this costume that she wasn't really crazy about. And so like the day comes when we're going to shoot it. And the first, one of the ADs says to me, you know, so-and-so won't come out of their trailer. And so I go in there to see what the problem was. And she was in the bathroom throwing up. And I said, what's the matter? And she goes, oh, I'm sick. I'm, I was like, oh, no, you don't like your outfit, do you? <laughs> she goes, no. Wow. Well, as someone who has been stuffed into many costumes that I didn't love, I appreciate <laughs> that you do that. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Because, as I said, the only reason we're there is to help them. And to help them, they're the ones creating it. They're the ones going to on film forever. So you don't want to do anything that's going to, you know, undermine them, and mm -hmm. you know, make it hard for their for them to give a good performance. So, like I've thrown out many costumes where the actor, like, no, forget it. In fact, in Crazy Rich Asians, we um, I had this costume that I had gotten from Paris a dress that was so gorgeous. It was just like staggeringly beautiful that um, a couturier lent us to have for, for Gemma Chan for a scene. And it was just so all handmade, all, I mean, just amazing. And then I showed it to her and, and she goes, yeah, it's nice, but I want to wear something really simple for that scene. And I was like, what? You don't want to wear this incredibly fabulous handmade Paris gown? Well, it was a fabulous gown, but Gemma, felt that for this particular scene, it was a scene where she finds out that her husband is having an affair, that she was, she wanted to wear something simple. She didn't want to wear something fabulous, the butterflies and all kinds of, and she said, I, I really want something simple for that scene. And of course she was right. She was absolutely right. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, of course, of course, you know, you know, but I got, I had gotten a little carried away with this gorgeous dress, but you know, I, I listen to actors when they when they say things about the character because it's important because it's all about them. Absolutely. I just have a couple of uh, kind of wrap up final questions. And this first one is potentially slightly controversial. So if you would prefer not to answer this or go in that direction, I, I'm completely fine with that. But uh, I did read a story in Variety recently uh, about the Costumers Guild um, talking about the idea of costumers receiving royalties for things like Halloween costumes and designs that go into uh, retail stores and things like that. So I just thought because we had you and that's such a current issue, uh, particularly it happened with Cruella, uh, the costume designer for that right. uh, film was not credited appropriately and would not be receiving those kind of royalties and things. And so I just wanted to get your opinion or your thoughts on that uh, while we had you. Right. Well, in theater, people, designers get royalties. Mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, on the Broadway stage they do. And it's just something that, throughout the history of Hollywood, we're salaried employees. So you're considered work for hire. So whatever you do belongs to the studio, you know, and that's sort of the way it is. It seems like it's unbalanced now that they make so much money on designs that designers do that you would think that they would give them a break and give them a little percentage of the profits. But you know, they are in the beginning, they are taking all the risk. They're taking the financial risks because mm -hmm. you never you never know if something is going to be successful. But it's a complicated issue. And certainly on the Cruella, I think part of the problem with that, she wasn't credited properly for the design of those fantastic costumes. But I don't know that it's going to change much because it's, I don't know, you wouldn't have different people like Netflix or Hulu or different, newer companies that are coming in that don't have the history like Warner Brothers or has. Yeah, I can see them like doing something different in the future. Like mm -hmm. it's possible, it's possible. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we are just so we reap the benefits of your creativity and your art when we see these films. And it's been such a lovely conversation we've gotten to have with you. What I like to ask creative people uh, as we start to end interviews is just what was one of your favorite moments that you've had in your career and or uh, is there a story or something that you're not often asked about that you really do enjoy and you want to get out there to our audience because we like hearing those special stories too. Oh, um, I don't know. There's, there's so many weird special stories. I, I, always, <laughs> I always like, I always enjoy watching dailies. I like seeing, I like seeing the work on film because that's where it's meant to be. It's, you know, you, it's always exciting. I think the most exciting thing for me was one of the, an early play that I did when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14. And I remember seeing like, I had glued all this glitter onto the costumes and I remember seeing it on lights on stage sparkling. And I just thought, oh my God, it couldn't possibly get any better than this. This looks so <laughs> fantastic. I remember it was really thrilling. And, uh, you know, I think that's what keeps you going doing these things is that if you really enjoy something or if something excites you, then you can keep doing it because it's very hard to do any job unless you're getting something out of it. And sometimes some jobs you're just doing for money and you're getting that out of it. And that's definitely something to get out of something. But it's even it makes it more pleasant if you enjoy what you're doing. And uh, you know, and, and every project is different. I mean, this I'm, I'm that I'm doing now. This little pilot is, is fun. It's it's lots of fun and lots of new characters. And you know, it's fun to do pilots sometimes because you're creating something that maybe it'll go to series, maybe not. And uh, yeah, I did a a pilot of pushing daisies, and that was really fun. Oh, and that, that was... went to series. Yeah. Gorgeous. That was really yeah. fun. And that, yeah, but that was such a hard show to do because it was so complicated and so many costumes. I don't, I didn't do the series and I don't know how that designer did it every week because it was, there was just so many clothes. But, yeah. um, but I wow. think the thing is, you could, no matter what you do, you better like it because it takes yeah. up a lot of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time. Uh, did well, you, Brett, you. Vanessa, do you this have any fun. final questions or no. anything? Just, Mary, I'm happy to know where that dress was that you didn't use for <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. I'm just oh, saying. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, Probably I went to, back to Paris, you know? So. It did. It did. Yeah. It went back. They, uh, they only, it was only on loan. Yeah. But, uh, uh, well, right. I can't wait to watch all of yeah. your films again, knowing that now we've we've talked to you and know just a little bit more. So thank you for all. Well, for all of thank that. you. It's the one thing. It's it's a real collaboration. It's you know if you're an art, if you're a true artist, and a lot of the most talented people that I've known don't stay in the business because they're true. They don't like to collaborate, and and if you don't like to collaborate, which a lot of times means giving up your ideas, then it's not it's not the right career for you because a lot of times that you know I may not like an idea and I have to I have to incorporate it to what I'm doing because that's just just that just how it works yeah and yeah. most and I found that sometimes when I first hear an idea that I don't like later on I find that it's I really like it because sometimes when you work with people who are different from you you get a better result because they come up with something that you would have never thought of. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all just so fantastic. And thank you again. Thank you for all the uh, crazy amount of work that you've done over the years. And thank you for, uh, now I'm going to go back and watch Batman Returns. And then I'm going to go start my run of watching Hocus Pocus like a million times over oh the God. next couple of months. And then uh, we'll go from there. Crazy Rich Asians as well. We'll just have like a uh, a merry marathon coming up here. It's just going to be great. <laughs> so thank idea. you so much. Thank, well, thank you very much. Your questions are fantastic. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. It's really fun talking to you guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you.
What a wonderful interview that we just had. You know what's great about it is we've gotten a chance to talk to directors and to actors and to writers, but uh, to see the costumes come together in a film, those are some of the images that are just in your mind forever when it comes to seeing that film and particularly things like the Sanderson sisters, like Catwoman. Uh, so many examples of what Mary has touched now are iconic in film history, truly. Crazy Rich Asians is such a monumental film to have been a part of and to make those beautiful colors come to life the way that she did. It was so wonderful getting to talk to her today. Brett, you were really the person that was able to help us get this opportunity. So what did you think about the interview we just had? Oh, she, well, creative people are always so interesting. <laughs> And so, so it was great talking to her and it was like talking with a friend. So she was just so, so kind and so generous with her time and the stories she has and the ones that we got to, oh my gosh, it was fun. Just so much fun. So thank you, Mary. And thank you, Joe. Absolutely. Now, Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we just had? I think Brett said it so perfectly that it was like talking to a friend and as a friend i will say mary you ruined cat woman suits for me i cannot wear latex like that if i put it on then i'll be called house cat woman it's just not it's not going to work out for me <laughs> but i certainly appreciate that she really takes into consideration how her actors feel in the material in the costume i mean we all have done a little bit of theater here and there and I'm not sure if you guys have, but I know I've been dressed in something that I just didn't feel comfortable in. And, and having her be so understanding, I think really is what helped makes that movie magic. If those actors, if Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't comfortable and able to slink around in that cat suit with that whip, would it be that iconic scene that we remember? Would we love Hocus and Pocus if it wasn't for Mary really being adamant that the clothes be fitted to them well and dyed in the appropriate the color. colors, not black? Thank you, Mary. Now, I don't know if we would have liked Hocus and or Pocus. You're right. I don't know. Uh, it, it, who knows? Had we have liked that if without that iconic costume? I've used, I'll tell you what, coming up on the Front Row Network, I have sat a lot of hours next to Jeremy Geckner, and he uses the word iconic like it's going out of style. And I've said it probably 15 times in this episode, but it's true. I mean, just the work that she does, the creativity that she puts out into the world, the art that she gives us on the screen, it just is so impactful. And I am so happy that we had this opportunity to speak to her today. It's just a, a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity for sure. So I uh, want to go to Brett for any final thoughts that you have. Uh. Well, I can't, I, I, I love talking to creative people. I love talking about the creative process. You know how much I enjoy the behind the scenes on all, you know, DVDs and films and all of that. It's what I live for. So this was so great to actually talk to a, a costume designer that knows what she's doing and just, it was, and, and her work is amazing. So I, when we're done here, I'm going to go watch all of her films one right after the other. It'll be, what did you say? It'll be, I can't A Mary movie it. marathon. Ma Mary movie marathon. Mm -hmm. Marathon. It's a I marathon. love that. It's Maybe. almost heroic. Oops, sorry, I did it again. Oh no. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Vanessa, any final thoughts? I just agree with everything Brett is saying. And yes, a big thank you to Joe and to Mary. I think more than anyone that we've had on the show, Mary, I feel like I could go get a drink with her and just sit and chat for hours and hours. Lunch. She's just we'll delightful. Yeah. And so we'll have to make that happen next time we, <laughs> next time we We're go, we'll take both food with all these people. Yeah, I know, so. but we'll take both Joe and Mary out for drinks next time we're in you know, La La in Land. LA, yes. For our next, uh, for our, our movie premiere that we're going to get invited to, I'm sure. Right, because <clears throat> we're going to get that costume bargain at the Disney warehouse. We will go through that much to get to the vault. We can the do one of those GoFundMe pages. Because yeah, you know can. we can costume every single person who donates if we, yeah. <laughs> we make enough on that yes, GoFundMe. Right. Yes. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, if you are not currently in the Disney warehouse and you aren't listening to our show, uh, then make sure that you can follow along with us uh, by searching for Beyond the Mouse wherever you find your podcast. We do have lots of uh, other interviews that we've had the opportunity to do. Also, just lots of Disney fun with the three of us. You can also follow us along on social media. If you go to Instagram, we are Beyond the Mouse Pod. Also, Beyond Mouse on Twitter and Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook. The place where we love to interact with our listeners is the Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals Facebook group page. So you can go and check that out. And uh, we will be chatting all about Mary and some of the costumes that she has brought to life, whether that be Hocus Pocus or otherwise. And you know what? We're probably going to be talking a lot of Hocus Pocus in that group come October because it is going to be on all of the time. And we absolutely love that film to be able to go back and check that out. You can also find us on nprillinois.org as well. And we are part of the Front Row Network. You can search for them wherever you find podcasts and also on all social media as well. Just been a wonderful conversation and I'm kind of sad to leave it, but I guess we have to. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brad. And we will see you real soon. Maybe at the Met Gala looking at Catwoman. That was uh, quite the story. Are you kidding wow. me? When she said she had clothes at the Met, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> think I know yeah. anybody that has had clothes at the Met. Holy oh moly. So cool. Gorgeous. Yeah. So, so cool. So cool. 